Hey, tennis fans, you are listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. We are also members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre. And Mike, we're here to recap an historic moment in Canadian tennis history, Canada defeating Australia and capturing their first ever Davis Cup title. And Mike, you've, you've been around tennis longer than I have as a journalist and just by by virtue of age. No, 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 no. Experience. Um, Did, could you ever foresee something like this happening? Say, you know, 10, 20, maybe, uh, maybe even five, seven years ago. I mean, Hey, listen, going back to when I was a kid, first of all, right now, just, you know, Davis cup champions, Canada, how awesome does that feel? And it's definitely going to take a few days to sink in. And even though we felt like they were going to be in the mix and they had one of the strongest squads there, Still to go out there and, and do that and knock off three countries in Germany, Italy, and then Australia. Absolutely phenomenal for our sport here in Canada. But to answer your question is, yeah, when I go back and think of growing up as a kid in the 80s, early 90s, never was Canada and Davis Cup ever even a consideration that we would be in the mix because we weren't even really in the world group as far as my memory and recollections go from back then. And slowly but surely, we've we've built up to this moment and you got to thank the Daniel Nesters, Milos Raonic's, um, you know, even Captain Frank Dancevich, who was a part of the 2013 team that went to the semifinals for paving the way to what we've accomplished here and for getting people like now Felix and Denis Shapovalov in there, along with the veteran Bashik Pospisil, who was so clutch. Um, it's just, yeah, yeah, this is something that was definitely within the realm of possibility because of the progress we've seen in the past 10 years or so. Yeah, it, and it is incredibly well deserved. Uh, just the way the entire team uh, quickly came together this week and and played honestly phenomenal tennis throughout. And of course, they they closed with their best best tie. Honestly, playing Australia in the final uh, to get two clean singles wins in straight sets. Denis Shapovalov defeating Tanasi Kokonakis six two six four. Then Felix Ojealiasim defeating uh, Alex Dimenauer six three six four. Vashik Pospisil getting two clutch wins in doubles alongside them both. Just like a very, very complete performance. And I'll start with, I mean, to me, the superstar of this squad, it's it's hands down our world number six player, Felix Ojealiasim. He goes 3-0 and in singles, wins the one doubles tie, um, joining up with Vashik to defeat Italy in the semifinals. He didn't drop um, a single service game through those three singles matches didn't lose a set all week eight and zero in sets and what I really took from this was he was the best player in Davis Cup hands down across all countries he was the best player there it wasn't even close and he's been one of the best players also hands down just from the post U.S. Open run this fall with his three consecutive titles with his strong run in Paris making the ATP finals for the first time. This has been the the best run of a Canadian, sort of a consistent, sustained run of a Canadian ever, you'd have to say, culminating now in the Davis Cup championships. And he just, he did everything he was supposed to do here, winning in singles, jumping in in the doubles, even though that wasn't maybe plan A and, and being terrific there as well, and absolutely living up to his top 10 status. And I feel like now the confidence that he has moving forward for 2023, I'm so stoked to see what he can do next year. Cause I believe even though he flirted with the top 10 for parts of this year, I think he now really truly believes he belongs there and his play has shown that he absolutely belongs there too. 
Yeah, it, look, he's he's knocking on the door of that of that top five, and it, it's been a long time since we'd ha- we've had a uh, top five tennis player on the men's side. Uh, going back to Milos Raonic getting to a career high number three at the end of 2016, but for Felix, like I I think the one next step we could maybe see in 2023 is can he win a big title? And that doesn't mean. A, a grand slam, um, which is, you know, an ach- achievement. A lot of these names like Tsitsipas, Kasper Ruud, um, you know, Holger Rune, Andre Rublev, Fritz, all, all these names are, are, ch- are still chasing and giving chase to. But is he a guy who could win a Masters 1000, take it to that next degree and win a, a big time title like that? Because we've seen victories at the ATP 250 level, at the ATP 500 level, two team titles. This one, of course, uh, to me, the biggest Davis Cup, the way he played. I think that's the next step for him is maybe getting getting his hands on a Masters 1000 trophy. Yeah, absolutely. And we've spoken about that, you know, I feel like already quite a bit this fall. What's next for him? What are our expectations for next year? And he's he's only 22 years old. So boy, there's a lot of time ahead of him for sure. But he seems like a different player. He seems like a different man. He seems like just a different, the way he's he's mentally believing in himself and, and composed and that serve, how how strong that serve has been this fall, early winter, just terrific. So I hope Felix takes uh, a little break now, a well-deserved break, puts his feet up on the beach because he's definitely earned it and and came in so clutch for Canada. And then you got to look at Denis Shapovalov and Vashik Pospisil as well, who were both, you know, when they needed to, Vashik uh, in doubles, absolutely uh, tremendous, did exactly what we we counted on him to do, what, what he's done so many times. And it was just to me like a, a passing of the torch when Daniel Nestor retired that Vashik Pospisil has sort of assume that spot of leadership, uh, veteran presence, calming presence, and in doubles, just the one that you know can anchor this squad down. So uh, I think he deserves a lot of recognition. And then Chapo as well, even though he started with those tough losses and singles, got it done against Australia, doubles win as well in there. Uh, the three of them collectively really um, got this done. It's not just a one-man effort. The no. three of them definitely, although we didn't need Vashik against Australia, and that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, just clutch play all weekend long. Yeah, completely. Uh, starting with Vashik Pospisil, just the fact um, he's been, he's played in now 28 ties. That's wow, a remarkable already. number of ties at, at his age of 32. I know, he, as you said, he's more of a veteran on the tour and he's experienced. But to me, hearing that number just reflects how often he answers the bell that I even remember, I think, a prior conversation uh, that you had with Vashik, a, a one on one interview, maybe earlier in the season. It was like the first time it felt like the first time ever that Vashik finally declined going. And and that was uh, in that right. in that qualifier that they lost to the Netherlands when we were kind of stuck with Alexa. Alexi Gallarno and Steven Diaz handling singles duties. Felix didn't make it. Dennis didn't make it. And like for the first time that I could ever recall, Vashik, a healthy Vashik Pospisil actually turned down a nomination. And he said, I remember him saying like, this is like the first time in my career I have to be just a little bit selfish. And how, you know, it was so well-deserved because he's been such a team player. Um, You know, he takes so much pride in representing Canada at this event. I'm sure this is an achievement. He's been... Um, hoping for seeking for years and I, I think they probably saw the potential I mean Daniel Nestor talked about this with me about seeing the potential upcoming even probably 2013-2014 as Milos Raonic uh, was breaking through and then suddenly 2017 Dennis is playing great Felix arrives uh, that 
we we knew we were on the cusp and to finally do it and to have Vashik Pospisil as a team member, I think is uh, so, so important. I'm so happy for him, honestly. And and I was so glad that we were able to speak with uh, Daniel Nestor um, ahead of the tie. And he said it. He said to, to him, Canada was the favorite. And when you looked at that squad and some squads didn't have some of their, their biggest guns, injury, fatigue, mm-hmm. whatever the reasons, Canada had all of our big ones. And so this was the, the best squad we could put out there. And, and they did it. They went out and they did it. But uh, to have Nestor speak so positively about his time on the squad and, and for him to talk about almost lamenting that he couldn't have been on the team longer with Dennis and Felix, feeling the potential of what those two were bringing to the table. Um, and then also to have Frank Dancevich as the team captain, I think was really special because Frank had some memorable Davis Cup matches uh, for Canada. And even though his singles ranking, you know, was never consistently really inside the top 100, he saved some great tennis for international play. And we even saw Milos Raonic, who's been pretty quiet on social media. He hmm. came out and, and had some very kind words to, to share with the boys as well on Twitter today. And uh, you put out an article on sportsnet.ca and the title was uh, Canada is officially a tennis powerhouse. And, and that is undoubtedly true with this result here this uh, this weekend. Yeah. And I, I love the uh, Milos Ronitro. Congratulations to Team Canada. Um, can and congratulating the guys, many Canadians have achieved a lot in tennis. This shows the strength of Canadian tennis at an international team stage, winning the highest achievement. And I love the reply from Alexi Gallerno, who, of course, was also a member of this team, practicing with the guys ready on the sidelines if you know, players did get hurt. He said, you are the reason we are in this position. You raised Canadian tennis to new levels. We can't thank you enough for this. This is your cup. Uh, and I thought so that classy. was very, very classy and kind for Alexi to say because it's true. Uh, I don't, I don't think Canada gets to the stage if we don't have a Milos Raonic who uh, really broke new ground on the men's side. Of course, Jeannie Bouchard broke new ground on the women's side as well, a handful of years ago, both Wimbledon finalists and. I'm so hopeful Milos Raonic can make a healthy return to the tour. My fingers are crossed that he's coming back in 2023. Um, I'll just tease news that I I heard on social media that he's hoping to play an exhibition event in the Bahamas. I think Mark Knowles is involved. So that's a good sign telling me he's he's still on court playing some tennis. Yeah, I don't know what to make of that news because it's 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 not highly competitive. It's like a pro-am right. event, but uh Nonetheless, hopefully that leads to a return in, in January because Milos, when healthy, gives us another, you know, uh, added tool to the the toolkit. And Felix and Dennis aren't always going to be able to go to Davis Cup, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's they're having deep runs in other tournaments and, and, and fatigue or what have you. We see it from other nations. Look, this has been an issue with Davis Cup for years. It isn't new that yeah. you're not always going to get the best players in the world. But to have a healthy Milos would give Canada, I mean, you take out one of Dennis and Felix, you put in Milos, I still like that squad against many of the teams that we saw here in the finals. Oh, absolutely. And uh, just to touch on Dennis Shapovala for a moment as well, uh, this was the first time he was back playing Davis Cup since they made that final in 2019 and lost to Spain. And I thought he said something quite insightful after his victory over Tanasi Kokonakis. He, he said sort of, it was a much different feeling than back in 2019, where their run then was fantastic, but it was unexpected getting right. to the finals. Everything was new. Not that they were arriving in the finals happy to be there, 
but there was a certainly a, an awareness then in 2019 were the underdogs and Denis Shapovalov right. going into a singles match against Rafael Nadal in Spain. I mean, talk talk about the uh, you know a task of the tallest order that certainly they were a big underdog in that final. And he said we're here to win this thing. And uh, he was hyped up to see Felix against Dimenauer, who he acknowledged also those guys came up as juniors together and have played against one another many, many times outside the circuit. So uh, I, I thought that was really quite quite telling that they, they felt like they were the favorites, I think, as well. Yeah, and I felt the vibe very different from 2019 as well. And look, Canada's the only country now since 2019 to make the Davis Cup Finals twice. So that's really telling as well. And I, it wouldn't shock me to see them there again in the coming years. Mm-hmm. Um, but it did feel different. 2019 was kind of like a Cinderella run, unexpected. Yes. When is the magic going to wear off? And I don't think we were surprised that they weren't able to overcome Spain. But this year with this roster and and how they look, they got themselves out of trouble early on against uh, Germany yep. being down. And then they were also down uh, against Italy in terms of not getting that that first uh, singles win. So but then by the time they got to Australia, you almost felt like, OK, this almost seems like the best of the three matchups, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. in some way. And And it did feel to me like. Not that they were a lock, but I I would have been surprised had they not closed it out at that point. Well, for me, like that that crucial victory really came in, in doubles against Germany uh, against uh, Tim Puetz and and Purcell, I believe, uh, and and uh, Kevin Kravitz. That they were the underdogs in that doubles rubber, Vasek Pospisil and Denis Shapovalov against the German team. Jan Leonard Struff had the upset victory over Shapovalov. Although you look at their head to head, and you're starting to wonder, is that even an upset? Because he's right, really had right. Dennis's number, uh, getting six of nine. Uh, matches there but uh, the German team was more experienced in doubles going into that rubber and Denis Shapovalov and and Pospisil dropped that opening set 6-2 before they stormed back and won the next two sets 6-3-6-3 so that was a crucial turning point like this team was a set away from getting eliminated to the Germans which you know if that's the case we're we're chatting right now about basically a giant Davis cup disappointment. Uh, so I'm, I'm thrilled that they were able to turn it around in that tough situation. And uh, there's a lot of versatility with this team. The fact that Pospisil can team up with Shapovalov in that first tie, get a big time doubles win. And then Shapovalov lost the three hour, 15 minute match to uh Senego against Italy credit to Lorenzo. He played incredible tennis and he was simply, I think too tired to go for that double. So Felix Right after, you know, 20 minutes after winning his singles match over Musetti answers the bell and is right out there with Vashik playing great in doubles. So, I mean, that's it's it's pretty remarkable, their abilities in that sense. And and they're both competent doubles players to go along with Vashik. You could slide either one in there. I mean, Vashik mm-hmm. has great history with uh, Dennis from 2019. Dennis plays a lot of doubles with Rohan Bopana and they've had success. Felix has played a lot of doubles with her catch. They've got a Masters 1000 doubles title between them. So I feel even though the two of them, you know, aren't top 10 doubles players, they're both very competent to step in there with Vashik. And I would consider Vashik a top 10 potential doubles player if he devoted more time to it. Certainly a top 20 guy. And Vashik is that calming influence on the kids. You know what I mean? Like he's been in that spot so many times before where Daniel Nestor sort of mentored him through. I think back to 2013, the first time in in my life where the Canadian men flirted with going to the finals in Davis Cup and against the Italians in the quarterfinals in Vancouver, Nestor and Pospisil uh, won 15-13 to 13 in the fifth set uh, wow. to, to keep things going for Canada. 
And even against uh, Serbia, they won 10-8 in the fifth set to go up 2-1 against the Serbs. And even though then Djokovic and Subsarevic would win the last two singles rubbers to advance to the, um, uh, to the, the finals that year, Vashik just, you know, when it's go time, he's 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 there for for the team. And whether it's him in a younger role in 2013 with the veteran Nestor or now as the veteran, um, I just feel like he's super chill in those moments. And I don't feel he's ever going to get flustered. No, he's he's such a calming presence, but also like intense and passionate at the same time. And yet one of the nicest guys out there, too. (laughs) Absolutely. Very, very likable. One of the nicest off the court, uh, without a doubt. And you think of that format change of how these used to be these best three of five marathon matches and the ties used to go best of five as well used to be a couple singles. And then like it wasn't just first to two it was first three points. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. It, it has changed. And I nearly got stuck in, in Vancouver there. My flight, I had to catch a flight back to Toronto and I had to work the next day. So there was no option of me ditching the flight or trying to, you know, back up the flight. Mm-hmm. And I unfortunately had to leave the uh, the quarterfinal match there against the Italians before it completed. Oh, no. Because it just went so darn long. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, there's something to be said for brevity for sure. And um, it clearly worked out for us here. So we can't complain about the format uh, in terms of how it played out for our country here. I still think Davis Cup, you know, could have some tweaks. I still lament the fact that we don't get enough ties on home soil anymore. And, uh, you know, good news, bad news is we won't have any home soil um, ties for Canada and Davis Cup in 2023 because they're getting a direct access to the finals next September in Spain, which is obviously a good thing for us, a great position to be in. But we won't see the men uh, playing internationally on on uh, on home ground. Yeah, uh, but getting that berth into the finals just ahead of time is is such a a huge a huge boost for the squad and their chances once again to repeat, especially if they have the full squad coming. I want to touch on this question. I mean, for you personally, maybe this Davis Cup title, where would it rank for you in terms of all time moments in Canadian tennis? Well, it's pretty flip and sweet. I'm not going to lie. It's definitely, it's definitely up there. I mean, uh, I was pretty stoked today. I was wearing some red and white. People probably thought it was for the soccer game that didn't go <laughs> Canada's enough. way, but it was for the tennis. And uh, you know, my kids were pretty jazzed too when I told them that the Canada won uh, after their hockey game. When I checked the score this afternoon, and 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 they were like, "Wow, they did!" Like it was, it was cool for them because that's that's our country and we debate this as adults and, and, you know, we often forget there's, there's little tennis fans out there mm-hmm. and moments like this have such a big impact on them. And uh, as much as I'm a huge fan of the sport now, I don't think I can ever come close to, to being as big a fan as I was when I was a kid. Like I was just such a tennis nut back then. And it really, I rode the highs and the lows and they really impacted me. So moments like this are going to in- inspire a lot of kids. I feel like it's hugely impactful uh, it's right up there for me, along with Bianca's 2019 win at the U.S. Open, which I think was probably more impactful, to be honest with mm-hmm. you, at the time. Uh, the Grand Slams just have so much weight. And and while Davis Cup is nice and the closest thing tennis has to a World Cup, um, I, I think a lot of people would say it doesn't quite measure up to what can be accomplished in, in singles. And even though that's an individual accomplishment for Bianca, all of us in Canada felt that and and uh, and relished in her victory uh, three years ago. Yeah, and we had a, a record number of people, I think, watching her final here in Canada, uh, competing against Serena Williams. It, it was, I don't want to say it was unfortunate, uh, because it's 
an incredible achievement as well for Canada to have qualified for the World Cup in Qatar and playing for there for the first time in 36 years, also scoring scoring their first goal uh, ever in, in World Cup history. But probably timing-wise, uh, Davis Cup maybe not capturing the attention it would happening at the same time as the World Cup, which does not sure. normally happen during this time frame. And literally Canada competing in the finals of the Davis Cup the same day Canada has a World Cup uh, soccer match against Croatia. So timing wise, that's probably a little unfortunate. But uh, for people who are disappointed by uh, Canada losing to Croatia four to one, take solace in the fact that we are uh, champions in the World Cup of tennis winning winning the Davis Cup crown. We can turn that into a big story. Yeah, and moving forward, let's not forget about our, our women. And while it didn't work out at Billie Jean King Cup for them uh, a few weeks ago, the talent we have there with Bianca, Layla Annie, Gabby Dabrowski in doubles, maybe Sharon Fishman comes back to the mix as well. Um, I, I think that both squads are going to have... Um, the, sky, the sky's the limit for them in 2023 on both sides. And for the women, we are going to get to see them play in Canada. We don't know the venue yet, I don't believe, but they're going to be hosting Belgium yep. uh, in, in 2023. So that'll be great for Canadian fans to get behind and see it live. And then although the men and women are not going to be at the United Cup in 2023, the first ever United Cup with men and women playing together, uh, you got to hope and think that uh, we get that happening for 2024. I think that's a real missed opportunity, unfortunately, with the strength of both our squads that we won't see them there in 2023. I'm sure there's many countries who are like, oh, phew, Canada's not going to be there. We don't have to face the Canadians. Yeah, seriously. Well, as you mentioned, I was writing that article, uh, just takeaways from the Davis Cup. And I started typing sort of at the end uh, about the wealth of t- talent Canada has. And I, and I typed six players inside the top 100 of singles. And then I was like, wait a minute, like, why would I write it this way? And rewrote it and said, we have six players inside the top 70 of singles because Rebecca Marino uh, cracking inside there uh, that... You know, there's there's so much depth of talent. Uh, we have a top 10 women's doubles presence in Gabriela Dabrowski, Vashu Pospisil back in the top 100. I think Gabriel Diallo and Alexi Gallarno. I know you guys didn't get to see him play them play this week, but if you look at their results from the summer and the fall, particularly Diallo winning two challenger titles, playing like really, really impressive tennis that I, I think you know, he could go very, very far places. Like he's about six foot nine, huge serve, big forehand. Like that's quite, quite a deadly combination. And Gallagher yeah, has been sort of... to join the uh, Isner uh, <laughs> query uh, partnership or um, Isner. Um... Opelka. Opelka. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 Why not? Uh, and so... on the women's side, right. Excited about Vicky Maboko as well. For Kayla sure. Cross Kayla Cross. A lot of growth this year. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's exciting times for Canadian tennis from top to bottom. And uh, while we're kind of putting, you know, the bookend on uh, 2022, lots of reason for continued optimism in 2023. This was not a one-off. This is something where we're going to be challenging for years to come with these uh, men and women. Yeah, definitely. Uh, just touching on some new news. I I know uh, weeks ago we heard that Bianca Andrescu split with her coach Sven Gronfeld, and the story is she does have a new coach. Uh, Christoph Lambert has left his position as the high-performance director of New Zealand tennis, and he's joining Bianca Andrescu's coaching staff for the 2023 season. Apparently, uh, the pair knows each other from her junior days and that she's received some coaching from him in the past. Uh, so that partnership coming to fruition ahead of the 2023 season. I don't know if they've begun work uh, together already in her preseason buildup, but glad that uh, Bianca sort of solidified a coach going into 2023 at least. 
And and I think things for Bianca are going to go really well um, next next year um, with uh, I think it's Lambert actually. Uh, Lambert. I, okay. list, I listened to some interviews with him, and uh, I believe uh, that's. Uh, but anyhow, um, he previously worked with Tennis Canada as well, and Andrescu, oh. I believe, in 2016. I worked with the Chinese Davis Cup team as well, and then obviously uh, more recently with the New Zealand uh, high performance uh, program. So boy, he's globally kind of been all over the place. And now back to working with a Canadian and and for Bianca, who, you know, uh, started the season late in 2022 by her own design to take time off for her mental health and well-being. Yep. She's already inside the top 50 and she's going to have all the points in the world to accumulate for the first three or four months, really, of 2023. So to me, if she's playing a regular schedule, um, there's going to be a lot of good news coming her way. And I could see her back in the 20, you know, top 20 of the women's game by even Roland Garros uh, before the grass court swing, which would be fantastic. Definitely. And even for uh, Lele Annie Fernandez, who's ranked 40th right now, she missed that sort of second chunk of the season after the injury at Roland Garros, which missed obviously the entire grass court season. I don't want to say she rushed back to play in Canada, but she obviously wasn't playing her best yet. Her front end of the season, she had a first round exit at the Australian Open. So, uh, and didn't really do all that much until she won her Monterey Open title, which was just 250 points. So I think she could easily pick up points uh, in the early part of the season as well. And, you know, I I really think both of them will be inside the top 25 by the end of the year, if not better. Uh, Bianca, to me, is, is a top 10 player. Layla has shown in the past she can play like a top 10 player as well. Yeah, we're not biased or anything, but, uh, <laughs> you know, this is this is how we see it. And, yeah. um, you know, while we're closing out 2022, a couple more episodes for sure in December, some mm-hmm. interviews and and going back to the well of, of some of the great ones that we had over the past 12 months. Um, so stick with us, Canadian tennis fans, because we still got lots more episodes of, of Matchpoint Canada before the season is over. Uh, but that is a wrap, uh, basically, in terms of the tangible tennis on both the women's and now the men's side. And uh, what a wonderful ride. We'll be sure to... Uh, wind it down with a season ending recap episode uh, prior to the holidays. So uh, be sure to stay tuned here with us on Matchpoint Canada. Yeah, guys, thanks uh, for always listening. Subscribe, follow us on Twitter and Instagram. You've been listening to Matchpoint Canada. We will talk to you next time. 